Welcome back to Therapy Insiders Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. All right, this is episode three of our new format that incorporates live video, live questions, really real-time access to us while we're recording this podcast. It's been a lot of fun so far, and this episode is no different. On this episode, we tackle three topics that keep coming up a lot. Um, One being, is cash PT essentially better than traditional PT? And this comes back to a question of time. Is delivering service via more time better than less time? So we tackle that. Also, we cover questions on cervicogenic dizziness, which was a question from last podcast, as well as a very broad, but I think important continuing education question because it's something we get asked a lot. Person obviously teaches his own courses, and we have a lot of courses come through at Recharge that we handpick. Um, so we kind of discuss our take on what is good versus not good, and really what is relevant continuing education for your needs. This is Therapy Insiders Podcast Live. Let's get into it. To uh, Therapy Insiders Podcast, Dr. Gene Shiraka brought here with Dr. Erson Religioso. What's up, Erson? Minus your mouse difficulties. Nothing, nothing. Uh, actually, it's a browser difficulty. I can't click on anything in the browser, and I don't want to shut it because I'm just like stuck in this tab. So as long as we're broadcasting live on yours, I'm good. How you doing, Gene? We are broadcasting live. I'm, I'm doing well. So uh, again, to, to give people uh, a bit of a summary of, of this kind of new format. So we're, we are, as we're recording now, we're live on Facebook. We're live on Instagram just so we can answer people's questions as they come in while also going over uh, topics that we kind of see relevant that we get a lot of questions on um, that we spend a lot of time really discussing. So we were two episodes in into this format. Uh, we're Three episodes in. Third, correct. This is our third episode. Yeah. We have uh, 120 other episodes in the bank. So it's been um, it's been fun. I think it's fun to kind of switch it up into this and um, and have this conversation. I think it gives people really a sense of what our podcast is like because we always talk about that we never really prepare in terms of getting the questions ready. But still, when an episode, when a podcast episode goes out, there's always editing involved, right? Like when people put out episodes, they're usually edited bare minimum something. So I think in this format, it really gives people an idea of what our podcast and what our conversations are like because you get to experience it live and you get to see that usually by the time the product is put out, like once our fine, final 
episode is put out on iTunes or Google uh, Play Store or something like that, that most of the editing is more of the the quality of the aesthetics of, of the the voice or some stuff like that, even though some people still give a shit for that. But in terms of the actual uh, content, it's pretty much one-to-one. So I think that's been a cool thing for people to see of, of where we are. My biggest thing right now is I need to pay attention to Instagram because people are, are coming in, in with questions and, and joining in. So I want to make sure we don't miss any. So if you have questions on Instagram, make sure you um, keep keep submitting those and I'll keep scrolling, make sure we don't miss any. Yeah, I just, um, just so small. Uh, so far, all right, we do have a question from Katana7 on Instagram. How's it going? Hey, guys. I'm following you for a while, and I'm interested in which techniques or seminars do you do you want? Well, that is, um, I'm not necessarily sure what you mean by that. It's, I think, a, a literal or figurative or both lost in translation here. <laughs> do I want these techniques or seminars from you? Which ones do I find interesting? <laughs> well, go ahead. I mean, Urson, let, let's get out the biased ones first, the ones that you teach, and then we'll work we'll work backwards from there. Well, I have uh, a brand, The Eclectic Approach, and several sub-brands under that. My brand is Modern Manual Therapy. I think they're amazing courses. I think Gene would agree. He's probably a little biased himself. Uh, haven't taken his, haven't taken a couple of my courses and hosted my courses successfully. So if you want to learn manual therapy uh, the easy way, the non-minutia way, the non-systematic way, the uh, non-commercial-based model way, you know. It's a lot of nuns. It's non, yeah. It's the uh, a manual therapy course where palpation doesn't matter, where you don't need to press or guess or poke or hope. You realize it's you don't need to be specific. You can't be specific. Uh, manual therapy effects are non-specific. They're mostly placebo based and based on patient expectation, but doesn't mean that there's not still an art to that. So that's what we teach, and um, that is my brand. We also have modern strength training, and coming soon. Uh, modern patient education, modern strength training is our BFR certificates. Um, and modern patient education is how to treat typically non responders or chronic injuries or centrally sensitized patients using patient education, pain science education uh, on recovery strategies, sleep, nutrition, and mindfulness. Hmm. Coming nice. Soon. Coming soon. How about you, Gene? Uh, I only feel comfortable recommending courses that I've actually been to or seen in person. Um, so the one I'd like to think the ones that I've been to, or at least the ones that we've hosted at recharge and through garage series, um, have been uh, the best of the best, uh, anything with, um, ice courses, Jeff Moore, his, uh, Institute of clinical excellence. Uh, all those courses have been amazing. And, you know, Jeff and I, again, take it from a, a lens of bias, but, uh, from, from something that we've had a lot of experience with and seen a lot. Um, Jeff is an amazing clinician, amazing uh, instructor. His courses are, are great because just like Urson's, they make you think critically and how to implement into your practice. It's not just about getting a, a playbook or a checklist of techniques to do. It's about connecting with people, seeing where they are and how to best integrate what you're learning to where they are. I think that's what makes good course is great. It's not just about having techniques. It's about knowing how to integrate those techniques into the person's life and making sure that you're always aware of the end goal, which is giving people 
efficacy in their own care and their own ability to take care of themselves. Um, so Urson's courses are amazing for that. Jeff's courses are amazing for that. Uh, we had John Russin in um, at Recharge as well. His seminar of integrating strength training with uh, with coaching, with rehab. That's that that was an amazing course because you get to see actionable advice of some of the best researched um, integration that we have, which again, Urson is exercise and, and lifting. Um, I feel like one of the biggest things that we don't get in school is loading strategy and dosing and all that stuff. John was really good at integrating that, I, I think, beyond some baseline rehab. So that was a great course. Uh, Anthony Lowe was awesome with uh, integrating uh, female athletes, uh, pelvic health, stuff like that. Uh, that was a really, really good course that I'd recommend. So it really depends on on kind of what your, what your cup of tea is, really what you want to specialize in or what you want to learn. I uh, can't go wrong with, with any of those, let's say. Um, and then other instructors that I know because I've seen their material either from reviewing, um, giving them feedback before they actually do the course. Uh, Julie Weeb with Pelvic Floor, um, Tracy Sher with Pelvic Floor stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a lot that I'm still missing, but those are the ones that come to mind initially. Right. I think uh, people are always looking for a toolbox and there's a lot of debate and negative connotation among modern clinicians about the toolbox. And people are always looking for, uh, you know, more techniques or they want to get better breathing or they want to get better needling or manipulation or soft tissue work. And what I can tell you after doing this for 20 years is that looking if you're looking for the answer you really need to learn how to interview a patient how to connect with a patient and how to motivate your patient and how to empower them because every time someone reaches out with a very common question to me um maybe it's an online mentee or just someone who reads my blog or is in my premium group it's usually hey i'm seeing a achilles tendinopathy and i've done this 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 and this and it's just this laundry list of common treatments and to me it my question is always the same because basically any technique you're going to do that's passive like that, any kind of passive manual therapy, tissue technique and needling technique are all kind of passive because they don't really get the patient moving. They might give right. them a window of opportunity where they can now load and move in a threat-free manner, but it's really up to them to maintain that. Uh, so my question is always, what, what have you taught them? What is the home program? Are they compliant with it? And what is the dosage of that? It's uh you know, if someone can leave your clinic better and they don't come back better, either you didn't properly educate them or they're not compliant with the with the home program. So um, that, that's the thing with that. It's not not like technique courses are not useful. It's just that levels of courses, and this is something Greg Lehman talks about. Um, he's kind of against, you know, the five levels of manual therapy. And I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about that now. I don't know if there's five levels or six or seven levels needed. You might need two or three to kind of basically refine your techniques and learn more techniques after the basics. But often the basics are all you really need if you can connect well and educate your patients well. So that's my feeling on almost any manual therapy course because people always ask, what do I think of X brand? And sometimes I have good things to say and sometimes I don't have good things to say. And if I don't have good things to say, I'm just not going to say it uh, publicly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. That's a good philosophy. Um, but it should be all about ROI, not not necessarily ROI of CEUs or ROI of this is how much money I spent on a course and it, was it worth it? it? It's This is the time I invested. Is the investment of my time 
10x, 20x to the amount of patients or people I'm going to help. Um, and, and not just this is this is a big thing here. It's not just about the first week when you get back because you're super jazzed up. You learn these new things. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to help so many patients. Oh, yeah, I have this case that this will be perfect for. And you do it for a week and then you never do it again. All right. So ROI is not a short term metric roi is a long-term investment um, so are you integrating are you doing this over for after the first week after three weeks after six weeks so that that's how i gauge courses am i taking even 10 percent? if i have a 10 percent integration of what i learned in that course over a span of six months plus then that's a good course to me right Essentially, what you should be looking for in a course is the same thing that you should be trying to do for patients because Gene and I have said it before, what you're really trying to do with the patient is change their behavior. So does that course overall change your behavior? Because again, like Gene said, yeah, you come back with all these new techniques and assessments and maybe you even told your patient on Friday uh, that, hey, I'm going to this amazing course and I'll have new tips and tricks for to help you on Monday. And some people will be ecstatic about that and other people will think like, hey, what, am I just a guinea pig? And why didn't you do know this stuff before? So that that could go either way. But overall, um, a course has got to change your behavior. You've got it. You got to be able to adapt and integrate it to it. In terms of ROI, that's why I don't really like the whole levels of courses, because you think you're getting better at a particular technique. But honestly, since most since manual therapy is really non-specific and you can't get better at it, you might be more comfortable at it. You might be able to deliver it better based on a certain uh, presentation you have or a certain explanation that you've been practicing, or you hear a new explanation from a different instructor who's maybe a more charismatic speaker. But overall, the amount of money and time you put into levels of techniques often doesn't translate to significantly increased outcomes. It may, there's just a diminishing effect of increased outcomes with every level of course. That being said, it's easy for me and others who are kind of experts or have gone through a, a whole series of courses on on for their certificate or a fellowship or a residency to say that um, we can cut corners. And my buddy Charlie Wongroff has often said is you, you can't you can't cut corners in the system unless you know the whole system. And I think to some degree that is also true. And certain systems are definitely going to make you more effective than others. It's just that those systems should definitely indi- uh, integrate patient education. That's why I'm such a fan of MDT or the McKenzie method, because it's all about patient empowerment. Yeah. I mean, that, that all makes sense. It's there's so much variability and yet still so much of the same information being shared. So it really is about uh, the competency of the presenter. Like you said, are you connecting with the presenter in a way that they can, that they help you understand of how to integrate. And um, there's just, if you, if, if you can go to the course and feel like it was justified to go there, especially at the point now where there's so much information out there for free and webinars and videos and podcasts like this that you're getting information. If you feel like you went there and it was time well spent, that's a good start. But again, it should be a long-term ROI piece for the course. So there are some suggestions. Hope, hope those help. Um, we say we get into some of the questions that we got last week, Urs. Sure. Uh, do you want to read the one on cervicogenic dizziness or basically it was... What do you guys think about cervicogenic dizziness? <laughs> yeah. What do you do for that? I think that was, that was pretty much it, cervicogenic yeah. dizziness. Well, I mean, I'll, I guess I'll be the first to start, and this is not obviously a time where we can talk about exactly what we do, but 
I'll, um, I would get, at one point, my caseload was probably about 80% TMD. So I saw a ton of upper cervical issues. Obviously, uh, what, I'm, what I would like to say is every TMG patient, TMJ patient, or TMD patient was a cervical patient, but not every cervical patient is a TMD patient. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, dizziness and vertigo, you know, obviously there could be a cervical component and there can also be a vestibular component. And I am by no means a vestibular expert, but I would often get uh, referrals for vestibular rehab. And all I would do is a simple upper cervical and cervical screen. And with just some repeated motion testing and provocation provocation testing, depending on, you know, does repeated protraction increase their complaints or after looking at uh looking at the history and what makes them better, what makes them worse, and does repeated retraction or side bending or retraction and side bending, retraction rotation, do any of those things along with some manual therapy to the upper cervical spine, does it alleviate their complaints? And is it a simple thing that I could teach them for home treatment? If it if it does improve their dizziness and it does improve their headaches and any of their cervical issues that it kind of go along with that, then I would consider it not vestibular if uh, all of those repeated motions were negative and kind of targeted treatments to the upper cervical spine, particularly do not uh, affect it, then uh, I would just refer them on because I know my limitations. So that's basically how I look at cervicogenic dizziness. It, can you affect it with targeted treatments or movements, repeated motion or loading strategies to the cervical spine? Yeah, I, I just take my yeah. parent, patients on a roller coaster. So when I see the patient on the schedule, hey, cervicogenic dizziness or dizziness. Um, yeah, we go on a, on the whirly, whirly whirl, the, the loop-de-loop, and um, that usually knocks it out pretty quick. Um, if, if I don't have that available, if there's no availability of a roller coaster, uh, very similar to yours, kind of try to get a, like with anything, the subjective, you're going to, you, you should get what we say up to 80% of, of an idea of how to treat the person and what's going on before you even put your hands on them. Um, then, you know, one of the, I think that one of the biggest things with cervicogenic um, dizziness, aside from really determining, like you said, Urs, if it's cervicogenic dizziness, is that first initial evaluation to see how centrally sensitized the person is, how, how, absolutely guarded are they because dizziness is a huge vulnerability for a lot of people they it, it r- literally shakes their world it it puts them in a place where they don't know how to deal with what's going on um, and they become a lot more guarded than with more traditional pain because people don't want to throw up people don't want to feel like they're out of control um, so that's one of the first things i see is how long has it been going on and and how really vulnerable are they and how willing are they to um, to let me play around with their neck, move them around? So that, I kind of ease into that conversation of how long it's been going on, you know, how in control do you feel, and you know that that becomes a nuanced conversation between uh, you and the patient. Um, sometimes you have to start that examination in sitting versus in lying down, um, especially if they say, you know, as soon as I put my head on the pillow, I feel I feel really out of control or I feel really dizzy. So you know, chances are the first thing you're not going to, you're not going to do is just throw them down and say, all right, here we go. Strap in Hoss. Let's, let's get, let's get it going. Um, yeah, exactly. Get the bucket ready. We're going. Um, but if you feel like it's a vestibular issue and I'm the same as Erson, I'm by no means a vestibular expert. Um, if I feel like it's more of a vestibular issue, chances are I'll send them to somebody that I know does 
um, vestibular rehab versus me trying to do a half-ass Dick's Hall Pike or something like that. But if they say, you know, I have a lot of neck pain, it starts with neck pain, and then the dizziness comes after neck pain. If you rule out, if you start to break down neck pain versus headaches versus dizziness or neck pain with dizziness or headaches with dizziness, all those things. If you look through your cranial nerves, if you elicit dizziness and then do a cranial nerve exam, and it's all negative, then you can start getting into more C-spine repeated motions. Um, obviously, upper cervical manipulations can be really effective, usually most likely not on the first visit, depending on how guarded they are, but um, upper cervical uh, manips have, have shown good efficacy with, uh, with cervical di- uh, cervicogenic um, dizziness and stuff like that. So that, that, those are usually on my list of go-tos, but it's more of a delicate, I'd say, process than more traditional, let's say, mechanical neck pain or something like that. Did you did you mute your mic on Facebook? Sorry, yes, I did. Um, yeah, what Ian said is true. I think um, looking for those concordant symptoms of neck pain and headaches, they're probably gonna. It, it would be rare if they didn't have some sort of, um, especially because it's it's a overall sensitization of the cervical spine, particularly upper cervical spine. And you know, if, if repeated if the repeated loading strategy was negative, it's not like I just all of a sudden refer them to a vestibular specialist. There are other things I would rule out. Uh, looking at typically their breathing pattern and uh, hooking them up to a this machine I have called a Capno Trainer, which of those of you guys who have taken my eclectic approach to TMD, I demonstrate that it measures CO2 output. So if you overbreathe and you ex- essentially um, exhale too much CO2, that could throw off your uh, acid base balance or your pH balance in your interstitial fluid and your bloodstream and uh, your lymph fluid. So basically every major fluid in the body. And that's just been overbreathing. It's been associated with unexplained complaints when all other things are negative. So there are other things I look at. It's not like I just automatically assume that it's vestibular if repeated motions are negative, but I just didn't want to get into too much specifics. So there are other things that potentially you could look at other than cervical spine, I should say, yeah, if, sure. even if you're not a vestibular expert. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Hope that answers it. What else we got, Urs? Well, um, there, one of my buddies, uh, Dr. Aaron LeBauer of Cash PT Nation, was telling me about a question that he often gets from a particular user on Twitter, and maybe it might be one or two. And I think this, uh, Gene and I are somewhat qualified to answer this. I don't know if we have any metrics or data, but the question is essentially, so uh, for cash PT, where, where's the data when it comes to being able to provide a better experience or just being better than traditional insurance-based PT? That, that was my understanding of the question. Um, what do you think about that, Gene? That, I mean, that, that's definitely a loaded question. Um, it's it's a bit of a it, it bugs me a bit, Urson. This this concept, and I work in you know recharges based on an out of network model, so we we don't take insurance. Um, but I still feel like basing our success or basing um, a UVP on time is a recipe for disaster. That is not a scalable uh, thing for a business. You can't say, well, we're going to spend an hour with you. Therefore, that's a positive. Um, we, we essentially take out time out of the equation here. So we have... We have sessions. People are coming to see us for a session. People have no idea what an initial evaluation is. People have no idea what a, a reevaluation is. People have no idea what a treatment is. People know they're coming to see you. 
especially if it's the first time, they're coming with a lot of unknowns. They're coming with um, a lot of uh, preconceived notions based on their previous experiences and based on what you put out. If they do some research on you on social media, on your website, all these things. So that creates an experience for them before they come in. So when they do come in, or if they call and they're trying to, they're, they're asking the questions, um, but they're asking questions and what they're asking doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily what they actually want to know because people have a hard time asking a question that they don't really know how to frame or phrase. So they're asking you questions like, well, am I going to be one-on-one with the physical therapist? Cause maybe that they had a, a poor experience previously with a tech aid, or maybe their friend went to a physical therapy place and they only saw a PT for 10 minutes um, and they had a bad experience and they based it on that. Um, are you going to see me, you know, is this 40 minutes, 40 an hour, but hardly ever Urson, does somebody call us and say, are we going to spend an hour together or are we going to spend 30 minutes together? Um, or are you going to, are you going to, are you going to deliver really quality care for me? Like they don't ask that question because they, they assume it. They ask questions like, do you take my insurance or, how much is this going to cost? Or can you help me? Right. But ultimately, even the cost questions, what they're trying to ask is, am I going to get value for the time commitment for, am I going to get value? Are you going to help me? Is this going to be worth my time? And we have to do a better job of answering that question without saying, well, because we take cash or because we don't take insurance, you're going to spend more time with us and more time equals better care because that that's not realistic. It, it should be, you're going to spend quality time with us. You're paying money to spend quality time with us to have more control and ultimately to have an experience. We're delivering an experience, Urson, and ex- delivering experience doesn't, ma- doesn't mean you'll spend more time with the person. Right. Um, I have a counterpoint to that, but at first I will, I will absolutely agree. I mean, there are people who pay me for, oh, he left the Instagram. What happened? I got kicked out. <laughs> Too long? Maybe. Anyway. So anyway. Um, you might invite me back in? Yeah. Okay. There are people who pay me for an hour and sometimes I'm done with them in 30 minutes. You know, I have one guy who paid me for three hours and I was done with him after an hour and he drove for like five hours. He's like, well, why don't you just mentor me for two hours? So you're right that no one really wants, when you go to a restaurant, you assume certain things about a restaurant. You assume that you're going to have an ex- a nice experience, good service. You want to know what, what can they do for you? Um, my counterpoint is, though, I would say that the reason why the majority of us go into Cash PT is so we can provide a better experience. And I would say the ability the ability to provide a better experience without being tethered to uh, a ton of paperwork. Um, you you don't typically go to uh, go into Cash PT, charge hourly rates that are more expensive than um, the most expensive trainer and massage therapist in the area, because that's usually what I recommend. You do it so you can spend more time. You know, you don't. I don't really know too many Cash PT practitioners that are uh, booking four people an hour like a kind of typical, what I feel like is your typical Buffalo clinic where they, everyone sees four people an hour. Um, not to call out Buffalo here, maybe that's what the overbooking is. But every time I say that people in other areas, people are like, oh my gosh, that's so much. Um, so I, I think we will have that ability, but absolutely time doesn't mean you're creating that valuable experience or that you're educating the patient or even connecting them. You can 
have a really it's like watching a bad movie for a couple hours just because you pay for a movie that's two hours long doesn't mean you're going to enjoy that movie or get anything out of the movie but i would say that um so so where's the data that was the original question there's probably no data for that i mean i don't think i'm not aware of any studies that look at the outcomes because can can a busy overbook practice have still have good outcomes sure if they have a Absolutely. bunch of personal clinicians and overall they're they're mainly focusing on a home program um absolutely i mean as, as long as they're doing the right thing it might take them more visits uh, maybe a little bit more utilization is the outcome is essentially the same probably um but like i said i don't know too many too many people who get into cash pt to overbook themselves yeah it's <laughs> Again, it, it comes down to, uh, I believe it, it's, it's just faulty. It's, it's faulty logic, Urson, what, and it, it's bias logic. And it's, it's coming from, uh, I think, from best of intentions. But again, it's a lot of the marketing for cash PT or private practice or uh, out of network physical therapy, it's based on the clinician's bias or of how the clinicians wants. Like even the stuff that you said, you're not going to see four patients an hour, you have less paperwork, like that's a benefit to the clinician. The patient doesn't give a shit about that, right? The patient wants to be taken care of and wants to have better outcomes. Um, and you can do that seeing two patients an hour, maybe you can do that seeing three patients an hour, depending how systemized you are and how effective you are. Um, but that's not something that necessarily needs to be marketed or, um, or really pushed the people. Again, it's, it's the time piece of it. When you, when you market to the timing of it, you're anchoring yourself to a, a metric that is inflexible. Time is not scalable. You cannot scale time in business. And that that's a big, big problem when you're marketing it. And when you're com connecting time to outcomes or time to quality, like you said, if all of a sudden you get to 45 minutes and at 45 minutes, you're like, well, we're done. The patient's like, well, you said this is an hour treatment. So you, you've biased them. You've nocebo them based on time. And even though you know that it's going to be a law of diminishing returns after this point, so then what? Um, I think what, what Cash PT offers, what Out of Network offers is so much more flexibility and the capacity and the um, re really the, the ability to create an experience. I mean, that's what we have. We have the ability to create an experience for people. Not to say that you can't if you practice in at work, uh, but it's just I feel like we have a little bit more flexibility to do that and to shape it and then do what we want with it. Is your Instagram still working? You got kicked out, and uh, yeah, I'm still live, but I tried to reinvite you, and I couldn't do it again. So now let me restart it. It's just, it's just too much truth for Instagram. It's too much. Instagram cannot handle. Instagram believes time is a good metric for quality. Time equals quality on Instagram, I guess. <laughs> My Instagram. No, Jen, I don't love overbooking myself. Some people might. Some people might be like, hey, you know, I love treating six patients an hour. I'm not one of those people. All right. Hit me in, nurse. Let's see how All long right. before we can explode Instagram again. Okay. So we only planned on going half an hour anyway, right? Yeah. How long, right. how long have we been talking? It's been about half an hour. All right. Well, let's finish out with one more question then. 
Got one more question. All right. Let's see. Uh, someone wanted to ask a question. Um, Miss Jen Crane, Cirque Physio, asked, you don't love overbooking. That was a question. I am out of questions. Any more questions? Jared just asked a question on on the Facebook, Erson, on the Facebook. Would you say that it is impossible to measure an experience or conduct research around it because each patient's experience is subjective? Uh, That's a good question, Jared. And no, it is not impossible. It is not impossible. It is. It is actually very possible, and it, it should be done. Um, you you have net promoter scores, NPS. Uh, you have you should you should have internal surveys. You should be sending out surveys to your patients, um, asking about the experience. We do that with all our members at Recharge. We have a, a little survey that we developed, a questionnaire that we send out to them every cycle, so every three months for us, um, and it helps a lot because you'd be surprised what people are focusing on that you're not because you're focused on running the business. You're focused on the delivering this macro um, experience. They're focused on the micro. So a lot of the details, a lot of the nuances of the experience get lost because you're not focused. You, you can't focus on every single thing and you can't think through every single person's lens. That's just not possible. We try to in the moment when we're treating people, when we're talking to people, that's emotional interviewing. That's having an emotional um, IQ, a high one at least, but, you never know, especially when you make them um, anonymous, when people have the ability to share without putting their name to it, uh, then you should really start to learn about how that experience is going. Um, but that should be done all the time and it should be a consistent part of, of business. Right. It's um, I like to uh, ask people for reviews, but I think the net promoter score and surveys are a good way to do it. Um, and, and you'd be surprised. I think the metric is basically for every one verbal complaint you have, there's 20 nonverbal complaints. And, and you'll be surprised because um, some of some of their, their people, and I told us on the Mental Physio Stories podcast once where um, I went to go mentor uh, someone at his clinic. So it was different because um, I didn't want to kind of take over so many treatments, I wanted to more just mentor him, but he said, Hey, you know what? I'm having trouble with this patient. Why don't you just see, jump in and see what you can do without me. And I will just watch. And I think that that's tough um, because patients were expecting, they weren't expecting just some guy from out of town just to kind of take over the treatments. And I remember there was a one woman who I thought I really connected with the most. And I thought uh, I sat with her for 45 minutes and described to her why she might why this might not be working, why she might need to kind of take a break or maybe potentially um, focus on her nutrition and her sleep and other recovery strategies. And the, uh, and I, I thought, Tina, I thought that we both thought that went really well. Um, she kind of smiled and, and um, shook my hand when we were done. And uh, he, she was the one who complained the most afterward. <laughs> hmm. When asked about, you know, he's basically like, oh, he, he just said that my diet was bad. And, you know, I need more therapy after like 30 sessions. Um, so you'll be surprised because I think most people uh, are cognizant of hurt. They're, they're, they try to be cognizant about your feelings, um, whether or not it's constructive or not. And it's usually not constructive. If they have something constructive to say or something that you should hear, they don't want to tell you. Um, sounds like my puppy is barking. If that's coming over the microphone, I have a, uh, no. Okay. Good. Well, that's not. Nope. Nope. So yeah, um, it, it is measurable in the end though. I think it's um, experience is something that's measurable. I think a fundamental question that should be asked before that question is what, what is a great experience even more? So what is a great experience unique to you and to your company? I think that for some reason that question doesn't get asked. Um, and when it does get asked, the answer isn't 
planned out and detailed enough because an experience has to be a fluid um it has to be a fluid plan. It has to be determined. It has to be iterated and reiterated. Um, and it, it has to be, it has to be a living, breathing thing based on your personality and more importantly, based on the consistency, right? One of the biggest things, cause you have take a step back. This is about people. So ultimately this is about psychology. This is about understanding human nature and thinking about what people like, but you also have to think about what people don't like. People don't like change. People don't like uncertainty. People don't like the unknown. People don't like fear. All these things that can, that can deter people from your experience, right? People like pleasant aesthetics, but that comes under consistency. So you have to look at these broad concepts of human nature of who people are, that is pretty much consistent with every single human being. And that goes into the experience, right? You take these pieces and you take them away from people. So sometimes you have to do negatives before you do positives, negatives being taking away things that could potentially hinder an experience. Then when you take those away, then you can start to build on, which creates the uniqueness. So you, you have to do the baseline things well first that that's i feel like that gets lost in the experience piece of developing experience as people blow past these fundamentals of of human nature that have to be integrated no matter what you have to have that you have to be a safe consistent place for people because life is not that for them outside of whatever business you're delivering to them life is hectic for people people are stressed they have enough uncertainty enough shit coming at them that your business your company should be a reprieve from that. It should be a safe haven, a consistent, amazing thing. And that, that should be a baseline competency. And then on, on top of that baseline competency, you build into the unique little touches, the little micros, the little details that you will deliver to them that somebody else won't. Great. Well said. Mike. Mikers. Oh, yeah. Mic check. Well Mic check. Yes, Mic check. I know. You know why? Because I could just hear you echoing. If I leave it on, it's echo. It echo. It echoes. So <laughs> I'm just trying to turn it off, just for quality. There you I don't go. Know how the audio is going to come out on this one? So yeah, we'll adjust. Give yes. people more incentive to tune in live. That's right. For the best possible experience. How's the by the way for people that are watching now? Do you like this live format? Do you, do you prefer having this as well as eventually a a podcast on iTunes to listen to? Um, that'd be good. Speak, speaking of feedback, Jared, here we go. We're measuring the experience right now. What's That's the right. We'll send out a we'll send out a survey. Oh, we just got a heart. There we go. See, we got a heart. Everyone's happy. Our our dopamine's going. That's right. Thanks, Corey. Corey says definitely. Yes, love the videos. Thanks, Jen Crane. Follow at Cirque Physio. Cirque underscore Physio on Instagram. Awesome. What's up? We got Jordan checking in on Facebook. I know. Sorry. If you guys normally follow me on Facebook, I had some browser issues. So next time, next time we'll broadcast live. We're distracting Nathan from writing notes i know yes what would you rather be doing listening to us therapy insiders live or doing soap notes hey you know what do your soap notes after work yeah please look first of all by the way we cut down our talk potential talk about avengers we didn't i don't think we even we we didn't even have that initial our normal like (laughs) 20 minutes of useless talk we went well for people (laughs) i mean it makes us happy uh but we we went right into the content this time around nathan 
So all your notes, you know, it was an investment in time of learning. So there you go. For sure. That helps. We'll talk about Avengers some other time. Gene hasn't even seen it, but he just went on Reddit and couldn't stop himself from spoiling the entire movie. But look, I, I see, look. But the experience of actually watching we, it. We saved it towards the end. <laughs> the experience of watching it, it's still. For those of you that are still sticking comic, around. It's not really that surprising, but uh, yeah, it's, it's an experience. We're here for you, Nathan. We're here for you, buddy. Um, yeah, look. First of all, if, if you if you don't want to if you tuned in for business and physio content, you can tune out now because it's yeah. all going for the next like it's going to be nothing in that realm. No spoilers, Gene. No spoilers. Look, I, I read the comics before. It, it was one of the biggest comics. I, first of all, I'm not a huge. Uh, I was never a huge Marvel fan. I was always a DC fan. Oh, Superman's my favorite superhero growing up. So when this whole Infinity Gauntlet series came out, it was it was awesome. It was it was really cool to see because um, if you haven't read the comics, you know Thanos is one of the better villains in Marvel. Um, I feel like one of the best best ways to determining a a good comic book or any story is the agonist protagonist relationship or antagonist protagonist. So if you, if you don't have a good villain to the hero. It's just not a good story. If you don't have a good challenge that the hero has to overcome, there's no transformation. There's no journey in it. So that comic was awesome because a lot of shit went down. Um, so I was curious. And then the, the, the spoiler popped up in front of me. And um, I wanted to know because I know the story anyway, Erson. And then I read it. And I was just as I was more excited to see the movie after reading that the spoilers because yeah. I wanted to see how the filmmakers made it happen. Right, seeing how they made it happen is really good. I mean, I think Thanos is a great antagonist. Uh, the MCU has that as a problem. I think only like the Netflix shows or Shield because they actually have a serial format uh, over you know like twelve shows or twenty four shows or whatever it is to actually develop a character. It's hard to develop for characterization over you know two and a half hours but um since everyone already had that we've already had 10 years of characterization about the protagonist they could actually devote almost all the uh, screen time thanos probably gets more screen time than anyone um and and uh that's what makes him such a it's also well written and it makes it him very a very compelling villain so Nice. So for, for our next podcast, uh, one of the big things that I want to talk about is stories. And if, if you're part of our Facebook group or the UpDoc Accelerator group, uh, I've talked about stories a lot. But th- this has been one of the biggest things that we've been integrating into marketing, into consulting, um, into developing content is, is making sure people understand story narratives. Because content should never be arbitrary and it should never be spontaneous or it could be spontaneous, but it shouldn't be uh, without structure and it should follow story structure, a good story structure. So in the next episode, I want to talk about what really a good story structure is and how to create content based on um, based on narrative, essentially. Right. We should link to that. um Mr. Rogers podcast or the, the Mr. Rogers interview podcast. That's basically mm. all about story and, and uh, great interviewing. Yeah, that was, that was a really good interview. That was spontaneous, but it still turned out amazing. Well, cause, cause he knew that the interviewer knew how to guide um, the interview. So right. there, so it unfolds in a narrative and that that's the biggest thing that that's how our brains work. That's how people tune in because there's so much information and so much, so much stuff coming at people that the only way they tune in is with, um, is with that. 
Uh, what do we got? Someone on the director interviewed in DC Wednesday evening. They spoke of how they wanted show Thanos as the hero and villain and him being, yeah, exactly. So that's, yeah. that, that's how villains should be. Like you, you, you should understand why they're doing what they're doing, have mm-hmm. a, have a deep understanding of their motivation. Might not also, necessarily agree with the execution of it, but <laughs> at least understand why they're doing it. It's also why Killmonger is such an amazing villain. Right. For uh, black Panther. Yeah. Yeah, because you so, really feel really feel for his uh, his struggle. The struggle is real, Earth. The for struggle sure. is real. All right, so that's it. That's Therapy Insiders Live, our third episode in the books. Thank you for tuning in on Instagram, for tuning in on Facebook Live, and if you're listening to this on iTunes or, or Google Play or wherever you listen to podcasts, appreciate you tuning in this week. Uh, catch us again next week. If you haven't subscribed on YouTube uh, and uh, iTunes, please do that at UpDoc Media Therapy Insiders. Um, you could also check out our UpDoc Media Facebook page and Urson's Modern Manual Therapy Facebook page. So make sure you get to submit your questions live next week. Right. It's modmt.com slash Facebook, Instagram, face, uh, YouTube, or uh, Twitter. So that's how you get to any of my social media. Awesome. If um, if you come up with questions after listening to this, you can leave a comment on the Facebook thread on the UpDoc Media page. Uh, person I circle back and answer questions that we didn't see um, or leave a comment on this Instagram on the Instagram live page as well. I think that stays up for 24 hours 24 or something hours. like that. All right. And we'll check in. All right. So thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you again next week.